<laughs> Something weird happened there. Guys, welcome back to the Welfare Business Podcast, which I am pleased to announce is in the top 5% of podcasts. That's right. We're looking at our numbers and then we, we, we compared them against what the internet says and we are in the top 5%. So you are in the presence of greatness as John is scribbling something away. Struggling with tech. <laughs> you shut up, you fucking twat. Today, 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 shut up, let me finish. Today, we're going to be talking about the unseen chains holding you back. And because they're invisible, they're unseen. You don't even know that they're holding you back and the damage that it's doing you and your life. John, how does it feel to be part of the top 5%? It's no more than I deserve, to be fair. You know, pe people, people who think they're perfect and brilliant really do piss off those of who are. But no, it, it is it is quite remarkable that we are in the top 5% of all podcasts for, for listenership. Bearing in mind, this is completely unprofessionally produced by my daughter, who has just picked it up as she went along. And we, have, we haven't followed any recipe or courses or programs, have we? No. We just talk about what we know. I've got a theory, though. A hypothesis. Yes, I've got a hypothesis. What's that? We are in the top 5% because every other business podcast is so dull. I would imagine that's true, yes. I don't... I mean, here's a bit of information for you, and this is actually pertinent to us all. I don't listen to podcasts except music, and I don't listen to audiobooks either. That is not to say... Podcasts and audiobooks are not a great way to, say, promote your business or to learn stuff. They just don't work for me. The point there is this. Very often, people are afraid to do anything different or out of the ordinary or, indeed, do anything they don't feel comfortable doing. And those two things are pretty much well aligned as well because most people conform to most things in most circumstances most of the time. They think, because I don't like it and other people don't seem to like it or that's not the prevailing wisdom, I'm not going to do it because my, my clients won't like it, my prospects won't like it. These chains are holding you back. They're invisible chains, but invisible chains are the, most, are the strongest ones we have simply because we don't know they're there. It's like an elephant being tethered by a, a thin rope. It could break the rope if it wanted to, but it, it learned from a very young age as a, as a, I'm not quite sure what they call a young elephant, a calf. A calf elephant, it, it couldn't break the rope, so it grows up thinking can't break the rope. It's what NLP people and these mindset fucking gurus call limiting beliefs. I don't like that phrase because a belief is actually accepting something is true without evidence. Um, but it's certainly limiting thinking. And probably all of us are susceptible to it. Um, and most of us are doing it without even thinking about it, without even knowing we're doing it. Well, if you, if you get a baby pumpkin right and put it in a jar when it's still small, the pumpkin will grow, but it can never get bigger than the jar. You go back six months or a year later and it's, it's this jar-sized pumpkin where all the other pumpkins in the patch are fucking pumpkin-sized. Well, your limiting thinking is just like that. If you genuinely believe, for example, if you genuinely believe you cannot sell your services at a higher price than you are doing now, for whatever reason, well, you won't try, so you'll never do it. I mean, Henry Ford was, was it's a bit fucking airy-fairy, but he wasn't far wide of the mark when he said, whether you think you can or think you can't, you are right. Yeah. You know, if you think something is not possible, you probably won't try. And if you do try it, you'll, you'll half-arse it and won't stick with it. 
so you will fail and that would, that would be a self-fulfilling prophecy now i won't go the other way and say anything is possible because clearly some things are not you know you cannot you cannot have a, ba a bed made of sleep um, you cannot be your own father for instance so not everything is possible in fact the whole idea of saying nothing is impossible itself gives rise immediately to a paradox because what if i say well i want to be the person who finds something which is impossible if you succeed not everything is possible and if you fail then you've proven that some things are not possible so you know it's a silly thing to say so please stop saying it it is paradoxical but what if time travel was real and i went back in time and fucked my mother and made me one is that incest two would i now be the father of myself there's no there's no mathematical reason for time travel not to exist. The the equations actually work out if you look at them. Well, not me. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sufficiently skilled in physics to do that. But they assure us that time. There's no reason on paper time travel cannot happen. Well, whether or not happens in practice, because the mathematical world is not necessarily the physical world. Um, it's entirely possible that the, the world we live in now would be the result of the, the changes we affected in the past. But here's the thing, if time travel was a thing, where are the time travellers? Because they'd be here now. If they could travel into the past, they'd be here now. Well, they live among us, apparently. Have you never heard that one before? I've heard that one before, but that, that's, there's no evidence for it. It's like, like Christopher Hitchens said, any claim made without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, let's get back to the sensible stuff. Limiting so thinking. So you do not want to answer whether that would be incest? Well, it's a hypothetical question, and I've got no idea what the answer would be. <laughs> Other people's opinions are also very strong. <laughs> Unseen chains holding you back. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm amazed at the number of people who will claim, and I think nearly everybody will, will claim this. Virtually everybody, if you ask them. They say, I don't care what people think. Uh, I think they nearly all of them lie. And if you want, if you want to see the evidence of this, rather than listening to what they say, just watch what they do. And I, I suspect we probably all do to some extent unconsciously. For instance, I I would be very unlikely to stop in the street and shit in the gutter. It, it's probably illegal, um, but even if it wasn't, you're the chances are you wouldn't do it because you've been conditioned not to, because you've been told from the, uh, a young age that having a shit is something you do in private it's not something you ever think about but here's another thing then okay being being naked in public is not a crime in the uk for instance in english law it's not a crime very few of us go around being naked in public why because we've been conditioned that it's something we generally don't do and that is nothing more than worrying about other people's opinions now that's not to say is it not indecent exposure no, that, that's, that's, depend, that's the nature of your nakedness. Just being naked oh, is not okay. per se a crime. If it was, for instance, hang on, if it was, for instance, I'd imagine that any form of public nudity would be illegal, such as sitting for art, because public is defined as other people being in the same building. Um, it used to be illegal, for instance, to have homosexual acts in, in a hotel, because a hotel is a public place, even if the rooms are private. In law. Fair enough. I was thinking of beaches. Well, yeah. So, yeah, there's nudist beaches. And we've got a nudist beach, believe it or not, in Clonakilty. 
ever been? Honestly, I've never ever seen anyone on it naked. Um, and looking at the so you've been. <laughs> Well, I've walked through it. I've walked past it. You, you walk around this corner and, it, and it's literally got painted on the rocks, nudist beach. Honestly. Oh, yeah. I just stumbled across it, I did. Down at Inchy Donny. Yeah. Just happened to have my hands down my trousers, waiting for some, hoping for some naked totty. But no, it was, it was Mrs. EBG with her clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> other people's opinions. If, 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 if you let other people's opinions severely sway you all the fucking time and you've never stopped to question why you do every little thing in your life, you're essentially running your business via groupthink. Yes, absolutely. And the thing is, people have opinions on things they really have no business having opinions on. I mean, let's be clear about this. You've got, you're entitled to have an opinion. Of course you are. But you're not entitled to have other people listen to it or pay heed to it. I was actually told in the week, uh, in, a, in a couple of comments that went backwards and forwards by some woman, oh, I, I would take exception to that approach too. Um, there's a difference between a used car salesman and being direct. And then when I says, well, it's a good job you, are, you and your opinions are irrelevant then. I do this deliberately so I, people like you never become clients. Now, that elicited a response from her that said I was arrogant and narcissistic, right? But get this right, it's arrogant and narcissistic to say to someone, your unsolicited opinion is irrelevant, but it's not arrogant and narcissistic for her to offer it unsolicited in the first place. How the fuck does that work? You, you barge onto someone else's thread and basically start criticising them, and then get upset when they say, well, I'm not interested in what you think, it's irrelevant. That's what people are like. Well, that is her conditioning. People are conditioned to take other people's opinions as being almost, almost sacrosanct like scripture. That's my opinion, and I'm entitled to it. Yeah, you are, but so fucking what? Who cares? You know? Opinions are Let not necessarily facts. Let's hear your story then, Connor. So... <laughs> I was shipping out all the journals, and we had we had hoo ha's with labels and whatnot. Uh, we don't like hoo ha's, do we? We don't like hoo ha's. The post office would not print the international labels for some fucking weird reason. They'd print every label apart from the international ones. Just nonsense. So I had to go to my local printers and uh, get them to print it for me, so I could fucking sellotape it on like a peasant. I was not very happy. <laughs> Do you mean like a peasant? There, there, there was four or five sheets of paper. I don't know how much each sheet of paper costs. However, I know that the total came to under two pounds. Because when he gave me the price, I said, oh, I'll pay by card. He went, but oh, no, I can't. I just can't. I'm sorry. Yeah, p- car payments minimum two pounds. And I went... I I said, well, sell me something else. And he was like, what do you need? I was like, what do you sell? And he was like, I've got ink. I was like, well, I don't need printing ink. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here, would I? <laughs> and he was like, oh, you ain't got cash, have you? Because, you, you know, they, they take a percentage of the payments. So, you know, I've got to stick to my guns. And I was like, mate, just charge me two pounds. I said, I get it. I'm a business owner. They, they take a percentage. So you have a minimum fee. I said, I get it. Charged me two quid. It was probably an extra like, I don't know, 
Even if it was an extra, even if those five sheets of paper cost me ten pence, I'd pay two pound for it. I don't give a shit. It's two quid. Two pound is free. If you, if anyone thinks like you are spending money when you spend two pounds, you have major issues. Anything under like five hundred pounds feels free. It feels free. It's just whatever. Like I need this thing. It's free, basically. It's Do free. It. <laughs> Get it done. Yeah, it's yeah. free. It's not real. Uh, so the fact that he was stressing over it. And when I say he was stressing, he apologized. And I was like, mate, I get it. Don't worry. He was like, no, next time you come in, just let me know that, you know, I owe you some paper. I was like, stop it. Don't you worry. (laughs) And he was like, this is a new thing I've had to bring in. My margins are getting tighter. And I said, "I, I can imagine. I can imagine your costs have gone up quite a lot. And he was like, yeah, I've had to put the price up of like the, the hardware, the stock I sell, but I've kept printing at the same price and I said I said to him well that's silly and he went well I haven't raised and he said this like a badge of honor I haven't raised my prices in eight years oh that hurts that hurts eight years John eight years and I said to him because the, the geezer is lovely I've been in there a couple of times before I said why on earth haven't you raised your prices that's mental and we was able to speak as business owners at this point. So I think he was being honest with me. At least I, I have no reason to believe he'd lie. He said, I pride myself on being the cheapest printer in Portsmouth. And I said to him, so you are willing to work for less than everyone else? He went, well, it don't really feel like work. And I was like, well, that's probably because you're not making much money on your printing that it doesn't feel like work. I su- yeah, I suppose if, if, if you're not making he was like, money. But I pride myself on it. Hey, it's his choice. You, you can lead a horse to water. Can't you just take him a copy of our book when we've got it printed? In fact, you're going to do that. Right? Yes, yeah. I am going to do that. I've got a list of people I've spoken to uh, recently that are just like, you need some fucking help. You need some help. I had a fella, a hairdresser, complaining to me that um, people are cancelling and moving their appointments. And I said, take a deposit. And he went, I can't do that. I was like, how much money have you lost from people moving around and cancelling? I was like, you absolutely can do that. You at least can start doing it for new clients or people who have a history of rescheduling things. What's the worst that can happen? He will lose the business he's already losing because they're cancelling. The worst thing that can happen to these people, John, and it, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks yesterday. We go, what's the worst that can happen? And we say something logical, something they can't argue with. The, the problem is, is this is all so emotional for them. And I know we know this, but it just hit me doubly hard yesterday because the emotion in his voice when he said, well, it's something I'm really proud of. Like, it was like I'd offended him deeply. He was like, this is my proudest achievement to, to, to show that I'm a reliable member of the community, that I can run a business and be here and print it cheaper than everyone else. It wasn't because he think it was going to make money. It was It was a pure pride thing. And that is built upon other people's opinions that he has been told bringing it up that it's better, that the, the, the way to be honourable is to, to, to fucking let yourself in every part of your life, that you should give yourself away on the weekends to charity and to the local schooling, that you should give your weeks away to family and friends and that you should run your business for a pittance. See, a, a question I would have asked him if I'd have got into it would have been, okay, that, that's, that's quite an honourable thing to do to help people who perhaps haven't got the the cash flow or the money to afford too much for their printing but how many more people could you help 
if you increased your prices for people who could and would afford it, and then use that money to subsidize people who perhaps can't. Maybe for every 10 jobs you sell at a higher price, you do one for free or at a very low price for the, for the small business owner who can't afford it. Can't you help more people if you've got more money? That's the question I would ask him because I, I get where he's coming from, kind of. I mean, in, in, a, in a cognitive way, not in an emotional way. I don't, I don't get that. But cognitively, yeah, I can see where he's coming from. But logically, his argument doesn't hang together because all that happens is, is you all drown together. If you drop your prices like that, you all drown together. Um, I remember speaking to a lady who, who, she didn't join me in the end. She was a teacher, or she'd been a teacher. She'd left teaching, set up as a graphic designer. And she said she wanted to bring top quality graphic design within everybody's pocket, the reach of everybody's pocket. Yeah? And I said, you will fail. I guarantee you will fail. And she was wringing her hands and I says, how much money are you making now? And she says, no money at all, basically. And I says, what are your clients like? And they were demanding and hard work. All, all the, the things we know to be true. And I says, you're going to continue like that and it'll get worse. And the only way it will change is either if you quit your job and do something else or you raise your prices. And she didn't quit her, what she was doing. She didn't join me. And the last I'd heard from her, because I inquired about six months later, <laughs> she got back to teaching. You know, it's tragic. Uh, uh, let me read something out to you that my, one of my EBGX sent me yesterday, is coincidentally. Um, Whilst you're doing that, I just want to summarize. I just want to summarize what I've said. You need to challenge every preconception you have in your business. You have to. Every single one of them, whether it's about pricing, whether it's about your marketing, why do you think something works? Why do you think something doesn't work? Why you currently do things the way it's done? If the answer is, well, that's because it's the way it's always been done, you've got real issues. Don't let yourself get bogged down by other people's opinions and stupid morals you've learned as you've grown. Marcus Aurelius, I'm paraphrasing now, says, um, we care so much about what others think about us, yet care so little for what we think about ourselves. Now, I, I, I hadn't heard that from Marcus Aurelius as the source until quite rel relatively recent, the last couple of years. For, for many, many years now, I've had the mantra in my head. Um, my, what I think about myself is far more important than what others think of me, which is the same, saying the same thing. Anyway, this thing from yesterday, I'll only read the first couple of paragraphs. It was from one of my EBJs, and it was a, a post you'd seen that I believe it, was on, it is on LinkedIn. Help, please, for an unpaid invoice. I did some work for a couple of weeks for a small business which had come under a lot of negative press for various reasons and no one would work with them. Open brackets, I have learned now not to be so kind from now on, close brackets. It didn't work out, they changed their mind, blah, blah, blah. The long and the short of it is she didn't get paid until she threatened them with legal action and now they're only going to pay half. Well, she's in that position because the prevailing wisdom in freelancing is you work for just about anybody. The customer is king. You do the work and then you get paid. If she had charged up front, that just wouldn't have happened. The chances are she wouldn't have done the work because they wouldn't have paid. Hey, dude, they're not paying anyway. You know, you, you've lost nothing. All she's done really is she's done a lot of work or she's done an amount of work. She may be getting paid half for it. And to get that money, she's had to jump through hoops and engage a cousin who's a lawyer and all these kinds of things. Okay, she probably didn't have to charge, didn't get charged for that because it was a cousin. But the point is she's gone through all that hassle where if she'd have, cha if she'd have, if she'd have challenged 
our own preconceptions, if you the challenge, the prevailing wisdom, and thought, no, I'm going to do things differently. Everyone's doing it that way. I'm going to do it this way. That cannot happen. When you follow our advice, when you charge up front, when you charge for everything and you charge more, you cannot get ghosted and left and be left owing money owed to you. You cannot be given the runaround. You cannot be cheated. You know, by design, it's not like these things almost never happen. They cannot possibly ever happen when you take our advice. And yes, you will lose the odd good prospect who would have been a great client. That, that's inevitable. One, you'll never know it. And two, you never had it, so you've not lost it. And three, you will avoid at the same time taking on many, many more shit prospects and possibly bad clients. You will avoid wasting lots of time. I tell you right now, okay, losing 10 great prospective clients is far better than taking on even one bad one. And here's why. Because a great client, no matter even 10 great clients, don't really change your life very much. Don't get me wrong. It's great. You like the money. And it makes going to work a pleasure. But you don't wake up in the morning going, great, going to work for these 10 people today. You just don't do that. You just enjoy what you do. One bad client, just one, can ruin your entire fucking life. It can spoil your evening. It can leave you feeling anxious and fed up. It can even affect your relationships at home because you're preoccupied with this fucking toss pot and you are speaking to your wife, so you're snapping at your kids. You're not speaking nicely to your spouse, your wife or husband. And it just fucking takes the colour out of everything. So one bad client is a little bit like a, a, a thorn in your shoe. It ruins the whole walk. And if you've ever heard or listened to the story of the princess and the pea, right? your bad clients are that pea. No matter how many fucking soft mattresses you've got, the pea's sticking in your arse. And for the yebbets that say, but, but, Gary V, he's super successful. He says to work for free. His audience on his TikToks, his Instagram, is children. It's fucking children. When he sits there and says work for free, he's talking to kids because kids are the only people that can afford to do that. If you are an adult with a business, with a family, with responsibilities, you cannot afford to work for free for months to gain a client base, to gain expertise, to, to, to get case studies, to get experience. It's bollocks. You need paying yesterday. If you are starting a business, whether you run a business, you need clients, you need money. Without money, there's fuck all else for you to be doing running a business. It's ridiculous. And uh, one second, John, and for when for the, the, the next lot of yebbets that go, but that's what he did. And that's what he said X, Y, and Z did. That survivor, uh, survivor bias. They are one of the few that made it out. The one of the few that made it out there are there, there's a far bigger list of carcasses of people that have worked for free and have gone back to being miserable and had to have gotten jobs because they worked for free get paid stop with this working for free nonsense gary v also uh is backed by i believe a family business worth millions a, a winery i think it is isn't it he did build it to be worth millions apparently i thought it was already built for him but whatever the point is, he, and I don't mean this in the woke way, but he's also massively privileged. He, he can afford to work for free because he's got money coming from elsewhere. He's not sitting at home with three screaming children and he's not the sole breadwinner. And if he doesn't get paid this week, he doesn't eat next week. That's not really how Gary Vee is. And he, he did, I pretty much guarantee he did not build that multi-million dollar winery by giving wine away. Almost certainly not. 
he uh, he gave away his labor is what he said so it, it was a successful business but the story is that he took it to millions which i do believe is true because he did ramp up the front end marketing i've seen the videos however his uh his his whole thing of that he's worked for free uh, and this is why there's a bit of cognitive dissonance there is he said oh i worked for free because all of the profits went to my mum and dad and it was like, well, you haven't worked for free because you've made money, you've sold things, and that has put food on the table, a roof over the head. It's and I I I like a lot of what Gary V says. I've just never liked this whole work for free stuff. Um, and he's gone from hustle to his latest book being about empathy, how we should look after ourselves. It's the biggest U-turn going. And I think he's he he's seen that cultural shift and he's trying to get on board with the kids because his audience is kids, by the way. The reason he has millions of followers is because there's millions of kids following him. If you look at the adults that follow him, there's a lot. He's a massive name in business. But the reason he's got tens of millions of followers is because there's nine million kids following him there, um, which gives him notoriety because people care about followers. But the empathy thing, He's bang on. He's spot on with the empathy thing, but it's just a very weird juxtaposition from hustle, work for free, kill yourself to look after yourself, sit on the sofa and have a wine night every now and again. I'm not really aware of his switch towards empathy, but if he's anything like most people, he doesn't have a clue what empathy actually is and what it means. For instance, I read an exceedingly interesting article on psychopathy in women the other day. Um, And the important and very telling points are they're harder to spot, and women psychopaths tend to be tend to exhibit less and tend to express less of the violent and aggressive tendencies of male psychopaths. But they do tend to be more manipulative, possibly. But the, the woman said one thing which struck me, and that is she said, if I see someone's got a broken arm or a skinned knee, cognitively I know helping is a good thing and I should probably do it. But she said, emotionally I feel nothing. That's exactly how I am. And it's important to realise that Asperger's original paper in the German was titled Autistic Psychopathy in Children. So when people call me a psychopath, they may or may not be correct, but certainly I do have certain psychopathic traits. This empathy thing being one of them. I don't feel empathy, not cognitive, not, not effective empathy. If someone's hurt, I don't feel bad for them. But I also do nice things because I know they're hurt and doing something nice is probably a good thing to do. I also have compassionate empathy. That's the doing the nice thing. The cognitive is realising they're hurt. But the effective thing, I don't. Now, here's another thing. This society in which we live, again, other people's opinions, it seems to be more, impo- more important to feel a certain way about something than to do something about something. You know, you can do a nice deed for someone, but if you don't feel, if you don't express that emotion, there's something wrong with you. I question that. And again, this woman quite rightly pointed out, People like us, we have a real place in society because as leaders, yeah, we're great because we don't allow, um, as leaders and advisors and mentors, for instance, we don't allow emotion to cloud our thinking, which is what you want when the shit's hitting the fan, like now in the recession. Fascinating topic. I'll send you the link, Connor. Send it over, mate. Sounds wonderful. So how do, very let's sum, summarize it because we're running out of time. How do people start tackling these unseen chains that are holding them back? I'm just going to point them at um, how to think like a Roman emperor, which is probably the, one of the best introductions to Stoicism I've ever found. Um, there are loads of other books out there for like, how to be a Stoic and things, but the, the difference with how to think like a Roman emperor 
is Donald Robertson is actually a clinical psychologist as well as a stoic. So in it, he's got some practical, literally paint by number, well, not literally, but metaphorically, paint by numbers exercises you can do to combat things like um, peer pressure and uh, anxiety and things like that. It's literally stuff that he will tell you how to do. Do this, do that, do the other. Paint by numbers. So that's, that's what kind of makes that slightly different because a lot of these books will say, here's what you should do, but without the step-by-step -step of how to do it. And for people who are just beginning with stoicism, I think the paint by numbers, the step-by-step -step is quite important. I mean, and if, you, and if you don't want to read that book, it is actually quite hard going. So people tell me, I don't find that hard going. And again, I've got the brain the size of a fucking planet. It's, it's only the first few chapters that people really struggle with, where it's essentially given the background of stoicism. Yeah. And, and, and I think people misunderstand stoicism to a large extent. Some people have even told me it's like a religion when it isn't. I mean, they say that in a disparaging way so they can then dismiss it as being hocus pocus or something they don't need to listen to. Well, again, that's their choice. Um, but it, all, they're, all they're doing then is that they, they seem to be excusing themselves from hard work of, of emotional self-control on the basis of misidentifying and mislabeling a philosophy of life, which is what it actually is, which is not a religion by any means. Um, I think people need to understand. Uh, they will do well to understand. Other people's opinions are just that. They are just someone else's view of how they think and how they believe the world is, how it works. All right. Now, if you're going to listen to other people's opinions, start asking yourself the question, well, why do they think that? Where is their evidence? What information are they basing their opinion on? For in, a, good, a good example of this is there's a guy, a friend of mine, he's got Tourette's, and he and his boyfriend have just been given the, uh, the go-ahead to adopt a baby. I think it's great. Fucking baby needs a home, you know? And of course, there's the inevitable people out there who say it's wrong. A marriage is between a man and a woman, all right? Well, who says? Basically, it's because it's in the Bible. Okay, so let, let's think about that. You believe the Bible is the, the inerrant word of God. Yes. Okay, so do you follow all of the biblical prohibitions, like no shellfish, no mixed fibres? You know? Well, of course people don't. Well, okay, so you, you're picking and choosing between which ones you follow and which ones you don't. How do you do that? Okay, whose interpretation of the Bible do you follow then? Because that's what you're doing, you're interpreting it. Whose interpretation is correct? Yours? And is it coincidental that what, what God hates the most are things you hate the most? Is that coincidence or is, is that not coincidence? And when you start asking these questions, you realise the people are just making shit up and they're just accepting something as being true. They might not be bad people, but that's what they're doing. Now, that's, that's not even an extreme example. It's a very specific one to religion. But if you think about it, people are doing this all the time. They are, they are coming out with things such as men should, be paid, men should not be paid more than women. That's an assumption. Says who? You know? And again, please, I'm not taking a position here. I'm asking the question, who said that? And why, why is that the case? How do we know that's the case? Should it be the case? Let's, let's ask asking the questions. And if it turns out that, for instance, men don't work as hard as women, maybe then women should be paid more than men. I don't know. Jordan Peterson did this when he said, addressed that particular topic, and he said a lot of it is because women are too agreeable. He got lambasted. 
Do you, that, do you remember that interview with Kathy Newman, who was putting words in his mouth? So you're saying, no, no, what I'm actually saying is this. So what you mean is, no, what I mean is something else. Well, she was a classic example of someone who was just not listening, not engaging in her critical thinking facilities. And Jordan Peterson stopped her dead in her tracks when she said something along the lines of, you don't care if you're offending people. And he said, well, you don't seem to care if you're offending me. And she stopped then and said, well, yeah, actually, you're right. Fair dues to her. She admitted the point. I think she was far more nefarious. I think she's she she deals with people who don't think about things such as critical thinking and uh, is able to find logical fallacies rather easily and <laughs> yeah. to push people down you know corridors they don't want to. And that was the first time that someone went, "No, hang on a minute, I ain't marching to your drum." Yes, and I think whether you're, whether or not you agree with with Jordan Peterson or like the guy or not, I think it's worth everyone's while to take a leaf out of his book because he stops and he thinks and he addresses things logically. Don't, and again, there's people out there who say, oh, you're just a, a Jordan Peterson fanboy, which again is an emotional response to what I'm saying. No, I'm not actually. I think Peterson's views on God are pretty fucking bizarre. And I also went to see him in Edinburgh and someone in the audience asked a question about autism uh, and love, autistic people and love. And he answered the question and he, I, I thought right at the beginning as he started to speak, you should just shut up and say, I don't actually know, because he didn't know. He was completely wrong. Um, and he just rambled. And I thought, Jordan, just shut up. You, you know, stay in your own lane, mate. So even Jordan Peterson is not um, exempt from this critical thinking uh, failures, if you like. He just didn't stop to think. We all do it, I'm sure. I know I do. Um, the, the difference is I know I do it, and I, I seek not to do it. Most people don't even know they're doing it and certainly don't make the effort to try and stop. Yeah, and if I had to guess... And this isn't sticking up for Jordan Peterson because he was in the wrong regardless. I think his prob- his mindset was probably, he was scrambling, realised he didn't have much to say, but didn't want to let them down. Wanted to give him an answer to, to make him feel worth their while, where often, and he should know that the wrong answer is often far more damaging than being told, no- well, it is more damaging than being told nothing. To be, an in- to be an integrity, intellectual integrity, he should have said, I don't know the answer to that. I'm not autistic and I don't know a lot about autism. Speak to someone else who does. Maybe even said, if you leave your, if you, if you email in your, your email address and your name, I'll do a little bit of research and find some resources for you. Maybe you could have done that. That would have been better than trying to answer this question. Or he could have said, just ask, just ask John in the front row. <laughs> what should people do and where should they go? <laughs> I think they should laugh at you for one thing. Uh, fucking wonky Connor. Um, Connor has a new name, wonky. So... What should they do? If you, if you want a, a good introduction to our world, you, you could do a lot worse than go to wellfedfreelancer.com and buy our book. If you do that, you'll get on the list, an email list, and at some point you'll be offered our new book coming out on the 6th of December, which is The Wellfed Business Owner. It is not just a rehash. It, it will subsume some large parts of Wellfed Freelancer, of course, uh, but there's a lot more to it. There's a lot more about what the kind of thing we'll be speaking about this morning. They're the best things. And also, listen to this fucking podcast episode after episode. Because you know we're in the top five percent, guys and girls. Not bad for this this middle-aged autistic grumpy fart who was told at school it'd never amount to much. I'm coming for you, Tim. I'm coming for you. Can't be any less bore, any more boring than he is. To be fair, that's why that's why we're coming for him. That's what you should do. And and the book, the book, the book is five pounds. Five, count them. One, two, three, four, five. 
and you get loads of free bonuses. And we'll give you double your money back in a pizza if you don't like it. And come on, guys. Please, we want the money. No, shut up. That's that, I know you said that as a joke, but that hurt. With the, with the, with the cheapest booksellers in, the, in, in Portsmouth. And on that note, stay safe. <laughs> stay safe, wash your hands, and don't shit on your fingers. It's a tough and